pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Greta Gerwig about her triumphant new adaptation of Little Women, and essays on Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, The Safdie Brothers' Uncut Gems, Celine Sciamma's Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and the action films of Tamil director Vetri Madan. Support independent, non-profit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nicholas Rapold, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment. Martin Scorsese's new film, The Irishman, has been out in theaters since the beginning of November, which you probably know unless you've been hiding under a rock or were buried under Giant Stadium. Scorsese's story follows the life of mob fixer Frank Sheeran and his close relationship with mob boss Jamie Buffalino and Jimmy Hoffa, the leader of the Teamsters. The movie's release is the perfect time to talk about Scorsese and his work and explore exactly where The Irishman takes us. Joining me for this discussion are Shawnee Enlow, Associate Professor at Fordham University and author of Method Acting and Its Discontents, Molly Haskell, critic and author whose books include From Reverence to Rape, The Treatment of Women in the Movies, and Steven Spielberg, A Life in Films, and Film Comment regular Michael Koreski, who is co-editor of the Reverse Shop book, Martin Scorsese, He is Cinema. Let's go to the conversation. Welcome to the Film Comment podcast. My name is Nick Rapold. I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment, and this is our all Scorsese episode. Um, on the occasion of The Irishman coming to theaters and Netflix, but hopefully more to theaters if you can see it in a theater. Um, and of course, it opened the New York Film Festival this year. Uh, and I brought together an all-star lineup to talk about, to take on the, the uh, body of work and The Irishman in particular. Uh, so we'll go around. We'll start with Molly Haskell, author and critic. Shani Enelo, uh, author of Method Acting and Its Discontents. And finally, Michael Kresge, film comment contributor. Well, thank you all for convening. We're, we'll decide the fate of the Scorsese oeuvre today. Where to begin with The Irishman? This is one of the most anticipated, I think, Scorsese films in a while, in a way. Just almost a mythology developed around it before it came out. Um, I almost want to just sidestep that kind of anticipation entirely and just just come to it with like what you know, where we each came, came to and how we each experienced it in particular. Um, I don't know, like, uh, it's for me, it was something I immediately just started thinking about death, basically <laughs> watching the movie just, uh, you know, I don't know if I have to recoup the plot particularly, but maybe there are, there are listeners who haven't, haven't seen it or somehow have avoid, avoided the media saturation about it. Um, but basically it follows a, a Robert De Niro plays a, truck driver who become the, some member of the Teamsters and then gets involved with the mob um, and especially becomes involved with a character played by Joe Pesci, Russell Buffalini, Buffalino, Buffalino. Yeah, Buffalino. Very well prepared. Russell <laughs> Buffalino. Um, I'm terrible at names. Um, and the, but then also he gets introduced to the head of the Teamsters, uh, uh, Jimmy Hoffa, uh, played by Al Pacino. And so he he has this kind of serving two masters kind of dynamic um, after a while. And this movie takes place over decades. I guess you could say from the 40s 
to the 2000s, I want to say, basically, because it starts not a lot, but it doesn't start, but it, it's dates back to his being in the army and basically being very good at killing people in the army um, and going on from there. And that's why there's all the stuff with the CGI or makeup. Uh, and we have an interesting interview with the cinematographer talking about that process. Um, but yeah, but the, I mean, the, the sum effect of it for me was just, uh, yeah, overwhelming feeling of just slow, the diminishment <laughs> over the ages and, futility and death but i began to feel fear i was being too pessimistic as, as well but it was that other people's experience mine was just like oppressively that just entering a long dark tunnel and at the end you just hit a wall well that's interesting i was not i mean i was of course looking forward to it but i was not expecting to love it somehow i mean mm -hmm. i'm not as much as I admire Scorsese and even love some of his films, I'm just not hardcore. Mm -hmm. And I thought, haven't we been there? But I thought where we've been before, Al Pacino. I, Al Pacino. I mean, I saw him in The Indian Wants the Bronx in 1968 uh. at the Astor Place Theater. So I had watched him, and I thought, you know, maybe enough already. And then the fact that he's going to be rejuvenated, technically rejuvenated, he could go on forever. I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't looking, right. but. I loved it, and I loved the, the sort of elegiac mood. It's a completely different kind of tempo from any of his other films, which are all sort of youthful, and well, not all, Raging Bull isn't, but I mean, the gangster films have this kind of buoyancy, this kind of, you know, there's no tomorrow, larky, and this is, there is a tomorrow, you know, the, the, it, it is mortality hanging over it, and the violence is discreet. It's not just erupting all the time, and the two, main incidents of violence when he shoots a prisoner of war in Italy, the German prisoner of war in Italy, and when he beats up this grocer who has offended his daughter are just so powerful that they kind of create this sort of dark leitmotif through the whole film. I mean, they just resonate through the whole film. And you, you feel the moral consequences of violence here, I think. I mean, I think you felt that the daughter was kind of put there as a conscience, but I really felt what he had lost. I mean, I think he can't change. Well, we'll get into the De Niro characters in, in here and in other films. He can't, he's one of these people that can't change. He's, there's no hope of atonement, a confession, or redemption, but the consequences are he's lost a daughter. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think what I found so interesting and curious um, and compelling about the film is that it's a film that seemed simultaneously to acknowledge and mourn the death of a genre um, and also the death of, you know, not just the genre of the mob movie, but also everything that went along with it. Um, and, and the piece of that that I'm most interested in is the acting style that, um, you know, associated with those actors that is so associated with the 70s and with Scorsese. Um, so it seemed, it's, it's seemed simultaneously to want to acknowledge and to mourn that death, but also to refute or deny it. I mean, and that's sort of how I read the, the CGI, the weird de-aging thing, right. um, which, is, which is, again, both an acknowledgement of the impossibility of you know, recovering the young De Niro, but also this bizarre kind of um, uh, you know, techno melancholic technological denial of that impossibility. Um, and the whole film to me seemed like that. Like it was on the one hand, um, you know, acknowledging that uh, the, the, the modes of, of, um, of subjectivity that that genre of film 
um, I think puts forward are not possible anymore, but also to like represent them to us, um, you know, through these these performances, which are are um, are in a way resuscitating it. Mm-hmm. So I guess I found that that um, ambivalence really bizarre and 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 moving and um, uh, hard to wrap my mind around. Yeah, I mean, it is weird how how the CGI makes you think more about their bodies in a way, and 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 more about the, yeah, the the passing of the body ultimately. Um, I don't know. I also though, but there's something about it also. Just it seems like Scorsese's just interest in trying applying the latest thing in a way and experimenting mm-hmm. and seeing what happens where it goes. Um, so consequently, weirdly, I did think of Hugo very briefly, mm-hmm. very briefly. <laughs> But until that, actually, until Hugo and, and this movie, I never thought of Scorsese that way necessarily of being of like a Spielberg type, right? He's always right. On, no. up with the latest technology. So that's what was so surprising about this when I first heard about it, um, that he was doing it at all. I think we all that's kind of true. made fun of it for a long time. Seeing it and experiencing it um, is a whole other thing. I Yeah, I agree. It's like there's an impossibility to it, which becomes the compelling thing about it, actually. I mean, Robert De Niro's body and demeanor and way of talking are really, really not a 35-year-old. And I think that that's okay because it creates this really uncanny effect. And I I really, I I came to enjoy that actually. Um, I think that uh, maybe we're, we're, Nick, were we talking about the scene where, where young De Niro, I'm using air quotes, young De Niro is supposed to be kind of curb stomping yeah, right, somebody. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's, 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 it's wholly unconvincing. Yeah. But I really, but at the same time, like you're watching a character who's old and who's young simultaneously because we're watching a very subjective experience one of, of time and of experience. And, and one of the things that kind of gets lost, I think, in a lot of the conversation around this movie, at least as I've noticed, I could be wrong, I haven't read everybody, um, is just how subjective this movie is. This is, a, this is set up to be a movie about what really happened to Jimmy Hoffa. That's mm-hmm. actually what this movie is, though it's from you know, a different character's perspective. And it's wholly unreliable. We talk about unreliable narrators, but this is based on uh, a memoir or a, a, that I, I guess was related to another r- a writer of what really happened, this this mystery that's unsolvable. And most people say this did not happen. This is completely fabricated. So we're watching a film that's knowingly about a completely subjective experience. So it makes perfect sense to me that you'd be looking at these kind of like n- neither here nor there faces and bodies because everything in the memory is like that. Right. When you think yeah. back, like I think back upon my father, I think of him as young, I think of him as old, I think of him as healthy, I think of him as sick. Um, and that's just, that's our experience of memory. So I, I, it made perfect sense to me. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, there is an uncanniness there that that it acknowledges in a way, uh, and and also that it's them, it's him looking back at himself. So yeah, he's always like superimposing himself in a way, his present self, on on his past selves when he's thinking. Well, even about the, the past. present self is too old. It looks too old. So I mean, it's not done digitally; <laughs> yeah. it's done with makeup. But yeah. he looks too old. So in in that sense, he's almost like a ghost looking back at his life. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, in, I mean, in, I'm wondering in. Is is Scorsese dealing with death in a different way in this film than in other movies, or with aging or mortality? Uh, I mean, um, you know, Molly, you were talking about how it has a real sense of the, the morality mm. and the consequences of what you're doing. Do you think how has that changed from his previous films here? Well, I think um, that he, he's never celebrate. He's never glamorizing or celebrating the mob. That's not mm. the thing. But there is this sense of. What I was just saying, the larkiness, the ebullience, the, the buoyancy of it, the fun of it, uh, until it isn't fun anymore. Here, there's not much fun at all, and yet 
I mean, I think, for instance, when he does kill the that whole line that, of course, when he says that they made us do it, we, got, we took our orders and you carry out the orders, and of course you realize that being in the mob is like being in the army, but with perks, you know, it's the same. <laughs> and the whole idea of getting your order, I, I don't know, it sort of, to me, clarifies these relationships in the mob in, in a way that, um, that makes you sort of come to terms with them in a way that maybe you hadn't before. And this idea of being in a place where you, I mean, it's like any kind of cult or a tribe of being in a place where, except for the brains at the tops, you're just taking orders and you're fulfilling orders and you don't have to think. And it's one of the reasons I think you, you don't have sort of character arcs in his movies. They're stuck in their pathology, really, in a way. And I think you see that here. Yeah. I mean, and one of the things I think that makes it so horrifying when he kills the guy is not that it's against the Geneva Convention and all that, he's gotten the orders to do it, but that he's making jokes. I'm making a joke about them digging their own graves. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, mm -hmm. it's, it's just yeah. chilling. Mm -hmm. yeah. The point about no character arcs is so mm -hmm. yeah. perfect because I was thinking the same thing while I was rewatching Casino, yeah. um, a film that I've seen many times, so rewatching it was not painful. Yeah. Um, but that movie is three straight on hours of people being the same, constantly, same, the same, furiously, the same, angrily, same. insanely, yeah. and right. Um, right. and just yeah, caught in these. It's like you know, life is this kind of perpetual motion where no one learns a thing, and people get and caught they up keep the reenacting these ritual, the same ritual, except when they're doing a hit job, right. they keep reenacting this ritual of in, asserting or reasserting their place in the pecking order, and 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 being oversensitive to an insult, looking for an almost looking for an insult so they can start brawling. Right. You know. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, but at the same same time, um, being caught up in the minutia of their own relationships, thinking that they actually have some sort of agency over them through the, these mm -hmm. like false romantic or friendship relationships. Yeah. Right. The Irishman is a love triangle movie. Yeah. Yes. Casino is a love yeah. triangle yeah. movie. Mm -hmm. yeah. Except yeah. that the Irishman, it happens to be purely mm -hmm. homosocial. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's yeah. kind of a it, it's really interesting actually. Well, they're yeah. all a love. I mean, they're guy love stories, really. I mean, they're not. I mean, the sex, the violence is the set. I mean, you know, I guess this is one of the reasons I I, I was slow coming to admire Scorsese because you know he did this essay recently, as you've all read it, about oh, attacking right. the superhero Marvel movies and how they weren't his idea of cinema. But in a way, his movies they were cinema certainly, but they weren't what I had come to love in cinema stories about men and women I mean he doesn't do women and he doesn't do adult relationships I mean he does a lot of things that are magnificent and I, I was started thinking about maybe the whole attraction of getting of, of, of joining the mob is that you can bypass the whole sex and guilt thing and really the violence is the sex it's the sublimation of the sex I think that it's a discharge all the that, that's what it's like to me yeah, I mean, that, this is I, I, this is so interesting to me. I've been thinking about it, um, you know, as I as I mentioned before the podcast, I've been totally obsessed with Andrea Long Chu's uh, book Females, um, you know, where she makes the argument that everyone is female because everyone because no one is the subject of their own desire. Mm. And so I keep thinking about this in terms of Scorsese and in terms of, you know, the idea that Scorsese doesn't represent women because Every man in his movies is a failed man, 
right? Like it, it is all about failing to be the subject of and your own toxic, desires. Toxic mas- masculinity. That results mm-hmm. from that failure yeah. yes. of to be a subject, mm-hmm. right? Like, to, we, and you know, I mean, um, and you don't even know how no they are. They're exactly, fl- yeah. exactly. Yeah. These are totally yeah. passive characters mm-hmm. um, who are constantly trying to refute their passivity mm-hmm. while actually, of course, reiterating it. Mm-hmm. You know, so in a way, it's like actually, these are all movies about. Um, you know, what Long Chu uh, calls, you know, the female position, right? Mm-hmm. It's like of being, um, you know, uh, imagining yourself as the object of another's desire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that that seems to be part of the attraction of the mob, right? Is that you can you can be totally passive. You're just following orders, mm-hmm. right? You can let someone else's authority work through you without actually having to be an active agent. Mm-hmm. While at the same time trying to reach these milestones, these false milestones, right? Uh, well, like, just rewatching Goodfellas. This, yeah, you know, yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 if there is an arc, the arc is that you know um, Joe Pesci's character Tommy, you know, desires to be a made man. Right. What exactly. is that great, that incredible term, made man? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, that, right, which, exactly. which in that movie exactly. comes at the point of his own death. That's right. Mm. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, and so so even, and I was even in re- rewatching Mean Streets, you know, that famous opening voiceover line, um, you don't pay for your sins in a church, you pay for it on the streets. Mm. And I was just like, I was actually trying to think about that kind of seriously and literally, like, what are his sins? You know, and like, what at this, in, what does this movie think his and sins what are? are? And what does he yeah. think they are? <laughs> right? It's something about actually his, his curious passivity right Mm -hmm. he's he never um you know is able to actually to actualize anything Mm -hmm. so it i mean it it actually works i think with this this idea that um you know that 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 uh these performances of masculinity are covering up the feminine position we're all in which is Mm -hmm. as you know not not as the subjects well there's a voiceover i'm not sure which character says it in the beginning of departed and says they say I, I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want to I want to impose myself on my environment or something to that effect. But of course, it's like nature and nurture. They're t- so interwoven that they that they are, and of course they are. And that's one of the things Scorsese shows: these great scenes of neighborhoods and the, the feeling for the yeah. exactly where they've come of age. You yeah. Know? One one thing that's interesting to me also about uh, the Irishman is is how I mean we're talking about you know, your place in society, your place in a tribe and passivity versus act active um, position. But it's interesting, how does that work in terms of like the working class figure that, that the De Niro character is kind of, you know, he's almost, because he's a trucker. So, and, and it's, it, the movie is almost partly about a lost history of being able to be that and be a respected man or, or have a, have your masculinity be respected and uh, you know without having to be the leader or the hero necessarily you know he's he's you know he's passive in the sense that he follows orders but he's still you know he's a man by the standards of the age i don't know how does that work into it the the sense of the work because that's something that really struck me about it is that a lot of this you know if he wasn't killing people he's uh, that's essentially where he slots in he's still he's a teamster mm. I mean that, but that's that's it. Just seems kind of like the central irony of the film, and and yeah. probably the whole Scorsese project to a certain extent. With mm, though, I mean, it's I I'd hate boiling his filmography down to a couple of things because it really is. There's so much going on in so many different films, mm-hmm. but um, but his movies. I think well, I think it ties back into what we've been saying about kind of passiveness and just never actually advancing yeah. anywhere. Right. I mean, that's kind of in a way the working class 
thing, right? That you work and you work and you work and you never actually advance because mm-hmm. you're kind of set in your place class-wise. And, and, and so like, it's funny that this movie is actually about Hoffa, you know, mm-hmm. someone who actually tried to put definitions in that and change things, but through his own like, you know, any means to an end way right. of doing things. Um, I don't know, it's, it still feels like stasis to me. Stasis. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like it's all part of the same, the same point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all those scenes where you see the Teamsters, you know, um, cheering for Hoffa. Right. I mean, which are all about, you know, he's he's going to he he he'll be a man for us. Right. He'll fight the, the battles that we can't fight. I mean, I actually felt like that was, you know, another sort of recognition of these projections of of impotence and failure onto like a figure who could. Um, you know, who could, who could be the agent. Uh, and, and so, you know, I think that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's the, the, um, you know, the pathos of that character is that, of course, he's, you know, he's ultimately not the agent of, you know, his own, um, uh, you know, he, he, he can't act as the, as the representative um, in the way that they imagine that he could, you know, he can't be the hero who um, will put them above anything else because he's, also beholden to another. So again, it's like there's no, you know, there's sort of this this fantasy that that somebody could. Um, uh, well, he's like the wife to both of those characters. Yeah, exactly. He's first the wife to Pesci, who's fantastic, I think, in this. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I mean, he immediately recognizes him as as a boss. Yeah. And he want yeah. he's looking for a boss. He's looking for someone to tell him what to do, and he finds him. And then all of a sudden, he's got also got a second boss, which is uh, Hoffa, and. Um, I think that also I think we should mention I think the structure is wonderful. Mm-hmm. I, I think the way he goes back and forth in yeah. time, it, you, you never you always know where you are. Yeah. And he brings in so much of that history. And it's also a kind of it's not nostalgia exactly, but it is a little bit for those of us who lived through that time. And nobody knows nobody young knows what it was like. And this is what it was like. And this is what the music, you know, of course, the music, as always, is wonderful. And the whole history of the of JFK and 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 the, the, the stuffing of the ballots in Chicago and how that played out is just brilliant. But I mean, there's a scene also. There's a scene with him and Pacino in bed together, just like in in was it in Mean Streets? I think he and Harvey Keitel yeah. are in bed together. You know, the, I mean, this is uh, and then he betrays him. He has to, it's a sort of. Yeah. yeah, Christian it's a, kind of it's a love betrayal. Story. It's a love yeah. story. Yeah. But you can just feel it all. All the things we're talking about are so felt in the weight of. De Niro's body and performance yes. style. I mean, yeah. I know there's something that, I, and uh, that you know, we should talk about the, um, just like the actors and their mm-hmm. different styles. I know, Shawnee, you were saying something earlier about that, but I mean, it really feels like, um, you know, they're functioning on different planes, hmm. I guess. Like they're kind of in the same space, but they're also kind of floating around each other at the hmm. same time. It's, it's, I think it's really just De Niro's. I think De Niro's, you know, brilliant in the film, but it's it's definitely that like passive. Mm-hmm. It works perfectly for this character, but he's it's, it's the thing that he's been doing for a while now. Very kind of like, is he there? Is he not there? Passive performance that okay. I find compelling. Well, it's interesting mm-hmm. that with all that, this is three uh, three hours and a half that Marty didn't have time to sort of spell out the transition from one wife to another. You know, that, <laughs> he's married, and then all of a sudden this waitress comes along, right. and then he's married to her, and we have no idea yes. how that happened. Yeah. But there's no room for a wife in this because yeah. he is the wife. You know, <laughs> I no, I think that's, that's really true. that's yeah. yeah, that's really right. I mean, and that it's also the why I, f- I mean, and this is maybe these are two different things, and so maybe I'm trying, I'm, I'm 
inelegantly trying to complete them. But there's something about, I mean, the the uh, the Anna Paquin character, the yeah. daughter, right? And um, you know, I, I guess I guess one of the critiques is, or I think I think maybe Anthony Lane said this, like, why you know why didn't she get a monologue where she confronted him or something yeah. like that? You know, mm-hmm. like or you know she's she and and it's, it's true. true that she is, she, you know, she never. Um, she's nothing apart speak, from really. her reproach that that is her, that's right the quintessence of who she is the reproach to her father yeah but yeah. in a way to me that actually made her the only subject yeah. in the movie yeah in a way yeah <laughs> right? yes right it's like in a way well the actually, only one who who knows a world outside of this yes yeah yeah and brings it in into her very rejection of what he's done yeah yeah you know I, and i this is this is maybe just gonna sound like a like a a silly um or glib inversion but it's like if the, the critique that he never makes movies about women i mean you could almost say he's always making movies about women and that women are always virtual the, women the viewer the viewer right mm-hmm. like i mean that that was how i sort of felt in this movie was that insofar as anna paquin was a kind of stand-in for the viewer and that it was an investigation of of these you know these genres of of um you know corrupt uh 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 failed you know pathetic masculinity you know I did feel like actually it was you know I was the intended viewer of this Mm -hmm. film in a weird way Mm -hmm. um and I and I think I I think I always feel that way in Scorsese movies maybe with the exception of of Alice doesn't live here anymore Mm -hmm. which is just so weird like where I don't really feel like I'm the intended viewer of that film but um but there's like there's something about Raging Bull I think so I, I think because there's something about um, you know, being uh, privy to this, um, you know, the 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 all the vicissitudes of this performance, and igno- and you know, in in the way that his male characters um, seem to, on some level, kind of always know that they are failed men. Mm. You know, I do feel like there's something. Um, you know that I that think it's is true, but it, it still makes them hard to watch sometimes. But yeah. I don't want to talk too much. Yeah. No, 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 yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No, I'm so curious what you think yeah. about that. I mean, this is a like, uh, yeah. Well, I, 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 watching it again, I really had a hard time with Raging Bull. I, I, yeah. I think it's because I think actually the boxing scenes are a relief. I mean, and I think they're almost intended to be that because it's it's choreo- to some extent choreographed and contained the violence. But otherwise, the violence against uh, against his against Vicky and against his brother, it just it's just so over the top. It's just so, and I found this in a little bit in The Departed too. It's just so um, uh, disproportionate somehow. I mean, I know that's part of it. It's part of it is gratuitousness. I mean, the the violence is never goal oriented. It's usually just a discharge of of this fury and this insecurity and yeah. self-pity there's a lot of self-pity in there but it's still just hard to watch and yeah. and and she just takes it the, the, i mean yeah, yeah. well it's interesting just talking about that i mean it, yeah. it, it talking about the violence as almost like a mode of emotion really mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. and so thinking about that in the irishman yeah. his his hits are kind of very repressed anyway, mm-hmm. because he, he walks up, shoots and goes on. It's yeah. like, he's not, there's that neither he nor the camera really lingers on, on those, mm-hmm. on those murders. And it's not, I, I never saw it as like this ostentatious of, thing of, of like, we're going to downplay the violence and make it very cold. It just really, it really felt like it was connected to how he was emotionally. The professionalism pro- too. I mean, yeah, yeah. And the professionalism yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've been, it's interesting. I've been thinking about theatricality in Scorsese a lot, going back mm-hmm. and watching films and how it compares to The Irishman, 
which um, you know, not, not a few people have um, made the observation that it's more subdued than his other films. It's not as showy in camera style or editing. It tells a story a little more straightforward. There's more shot reverse shot. It it, it does. I, I would say the most gripping scene in the film is just this kind of early morning Howard Johnson's conversation between Joe Pesci and De Niro, which is truly amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, there's a little less. Um, I don't I don't mean this to to denigrate, but less like showboating theatrics. Yes. And so that made me go back and think, which I love, <laughs> that made me go back and think about those theatrics and what exactly they are. I mean, and why they are. And Raging Bull is a great example. I mean, the, the you know, the, and he said this before, um, as he was, you know, Powell and Pressburger was, were such um, influences on him. But the, the boxing scenes, you say they're relief. They're like the musical numbers. Yeah. Um, but but the the fights are also they're they're theatrical. They mm. they go on too long. Mm-hmm. I mean, New York, New York, obviously, a movie about theatrics. We should talk about that about theatrics, but not just in the amazing final half hour where Liza Minnelli finally gets to become Liza Minnelli or mm. becomes Judy Garland and mm-hmm. Liza Minnelli, but also throughout because every fight scene that they have goes on just too long, and it becomes almost about the. Performance, right? It becomes this like endless. Well, also, don't you think he also style. he wants to make you uncomfortable? He's like Cassavetes in a way. They want to yeah. make you mm. uncomfortable. They want to make you squirm. That that's part of the aesthetic, I think. Yeah, totally. And what I, you know, in those, I think those things are totally related, right? It's mm. like in both cases, these are. Um, I mean, they remind me of actor scene studies, right? Mm. Or improv, mm. or you know, an improv that, um, mm. you know, where the 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 goal is to take it as far as it'll go. Mm-hmm. To go, you know, you go on as long as you know, as long as you can, right? It continues, and it becomes sort of about actually, you know, it is it is an acting exercise in the sense that you're seeing, um, you know, how far a conflict could take. Uh, two people, you know, two actors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. Well, you have so you have that kind of theatricality, right? Let's 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 say the you too know, muchness, the too much, the Casavetti, mm-hmm. the Albi. Mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then you also have the um, like the highly stylized, you know, composed frame kind of choreography, right? So I'm thinking specifically of you know, I was rewatching Goodfellas and one of the things that people love to talk about is the the scene that's set to Eric Clapton's Layla, mm-hmm. which is sort of like this montage of all of these the whole day. Well, no, it's before that. So it's it's before that. It's mm. when um, after they had done this this the, I think it's the Lufthansa the Lufthansa yeah. um, heist. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like tying up loose ends for a lot yeah. of the people who right. you know kind of said too much or bought too many things or it had to be silenced. And so it's a montage of all of the of all these people who've been killed. And but it starts with like that you know that kind of piano hit on the the outro for Layla as the camera rises and you see two you see um, the husband and wife. Uh, uh, one of the people who murdered the husband and wife mm-hmm. in the car, their bodies kind of displayed as though these like storefront mannequins mm-hmm. and the camera kind of glides up p- perfectly choreographed to the music. And this kind of thing is also very, very Scorsese, right? Mm-hmm. Where this kind of pageantry mm-hmm. of violence mm-hmm. um, is there for our kind of horror and delectation. And of course it's, makes people very uncomfortable but it also there's something very pleasing about it and so that's something that i've just been trying to kind of mm. also think about where that comes from I, I'm, I'm sure there have been people talking about how it's based on some sort of like you know guilt from catholic ritual or something i don't know mm. but it really has like or an almost catholic religious camp, quality right? hmm. catholic camp which i mean you know the the displayed mutilated body of christ hmm. being so central to Catholic yeah. iconography for, you know, reasons that a lot of people describe as explicitly erotic. Yeah. Well, I, and, I wonder, <laughs> and I wonder if, if it's displaced onto these things 
um, because like when he actually made the movie about <laughs> Christ, it's uh-huh. probably one of his more like realistic films. It has like a more realistic, <laughs> yeah, gritty atmosphere. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I was also just thinking about the kind of, I don't know, devilish or satanic kind of energy that comes out of his use of music and, and the way he seems to like feel and perceive uh, like rock and blues. It's as if this, I always feel it as this kind of like devilish energy that he, mm-hmm. he wants to, I don't know, that, that's something he almost maybe enjoys a little um, somehow when that, when that kicks in into a movie. Um, and that's why the, the blues um, or kind of riff that goes throughout mm-hmm. The Irishman is so interesting to me because it's one that's just relentless, yeah. monotonous. And by the end, it's, I mean, it's, for a while, it seems kind of like there's a grin behind it. By the end, it just feels like it's, mm-hmm. you know, scraping the bottom. <laughs> um, that, that kind of like, it's so true. It's, you know what and, I mean? And in most of the films, the violence is the, that's the aria. I mean, they're, of course, very operatic, and mm-hmm. there's includes opera and scores, but the violence are the arias often. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, um, you, you don't have that. You don't have that same thing. Yeah, expressive. Like I forgot kind of. what I was going to say. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. yeah they, they don't turn into like these little. I don't know, showboating kind of. Oh, I know. I was thinking of the thing when he finally goes, when he's, I think the whole scene, scenes, when he goes to kill Hoffer are just fantastic because mm-hmm. you just go minute by minute in those. I mean, they, that's yeah. really prolonged and you don't quite know who you're with and where, why you're going back and all of this and yet somehow it works completely, I think. I'm not even sure I can figure out why, but I think that's a great sequence yeah i agree that sequence is 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 just hip, hypnotic yeah. and yeah. and and there's almost a riddling quality mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. you know that whole conversation about the fish which is is yeah. just kind of tantalizing yeah, yeah. Like you're always what is going for a second i thought is this about the you know sleeps with the fishes thing <laughs> at one point is that going to decode this but after a while it just seems like this just really means nothing i don't know, you know? i think it throws you off the scent as it yeah. does <laughs> yeah. that's right that's right it's a di- yeah. diversion yeah Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Greta Gerwig about her triumphant new adaptation of Little Women, and essays on Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, The Safdie Brothers' Uncut Gems, Celine Sciamma's Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and the action films of Tamil director Vetri Madan, plus Rossellini's history films, streaming Adam Sandler, composer Fatima Al-Qadidi on Atlantics, and much more. Support independent, nonprofit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. What I what I was thinking about as I was watching it um, was a, a lot throughout the, throughout the film. I was thinking about why does this genre and these actors and this particular um, style of performance, which you know, as shorthand, I'll call method acting, <laughs> um, you know, why do they work so well together, and why do they seem to be to be totally anachronistic in 2019 like why do they why do they seem so out of our moment and I I kept coming back to this idea that um that the key is is that this is the genre in which subtext like um I don't know if I want to say subtext makes sense or subtext is um this this is the genre where you always have uh narratively driven subtext maybe i'll put it that way like in in a mafia movie they're in, in it, they're always not saying the thing that they're saying and so the subtext is like the every every scene has subtext that is very you know there's a very clear division i'm not being very technical right now but there's a very clear division between text and subtext in each you know in mm-hmm. each scene mm-hmm. and and um 
that is just not something that I think you see in uh, movies now. I don't, I don't think that people are, I don't think people believe in subtext in the same way. Um, I don't think people believe in um, surface depth division. Well, it's not so much that they, I just was talking about this recently. It's not so much that they don't believe in it. It's become impossible because I mean, subtext came at a time of repression. So there was exactly. a lot on the surface. Now everything is exposed. It's exactly. exhibited. Exactly. There's no subtext because, and it's sort of, it's sort of, it's, I mean, you get you get something and you lose something, but you certainly lose the, the kind of ambiguity that you had with subtext where, I mean, say with Hitchcock or, or whatever classical director, there are all sorts of perverse longings and unconscious desires, and they're not all spelled out. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. now when it's, when it's on the surface, you almost have to. But I think you're right about this mm-hmm. film. that, And I think with Scorsese generally, there's uh, stuff on, under the surface. Yeah. 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 Well, it's interesting that, yeah, and the kind of taboo thing is the, is is the is the death by the end. You know, it's like it is what it is. You know that that phrase that covers up the the actual act. Um, I don't know. I love that phrase now. And, I, and I, it's, it is what it is. Is a great phrase for a lot of his movies. I mean, I, yeah. I was thinking of it when I saw it. I was thinking of the, of the Age of Innocence, which, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, I just it's such a that movie is such a masterpiece that. I don't, all, all I want to do is talk about how great it is, but <laughs> um, I've seen it many, many times. But I was thinking of that because I don't even know where to start because I think it's so perfect. <laughs> my, no all, all I would say is that it's perfect first stream to last. <laughs> that would be my really, really poor, <laughs> poor description. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I love the novel and I think it's a, a perfect adaptation of the novel. Um, but I mean, well, and everybody in it is just so, so wonderful. And Winona Ryder, her character and her performance talk about subtext. I mean, th- for me, that is just one of like the jewels of that mm-hmm. type of acting where everything that's being said about the character is never being said on screen. Um, but the, the, the point I was gonna make about that particular phrase is that by the time of the movie's over and Newland Archer has lived his entire life with someone he doesn't love, knowing that the person that he loved was right there the whole time and everybody actually conspired like, like the mafia to make <laughs> him as unhappy and to die as soon and early as possible, um, it is what it is. It, it is what it like because that was a slow death that was a slow right. spiritual death and I, th- I think of all the films that Scorsese's made the last act uh, of Age of Innocence feels most like the last act mm. of The Irishman mm-hmm. for me uh. where you're suddenly mm. moving ahead in time and you're mm-hmm. seeing just basically his life's over his life's been over for a long time he has nothing but regrets and he's just letting the days you know dwindle and roll out until he'll finally die happily to happy to die, not happy. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's my reading of the Age of Innocence anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, and, and I mean, similarly, just not to harp on this too much, but, but similarly, I mean, that character and, and Day-Lewis's performance, I mean, talk about the female position. I mean, it, it's actually all, I think, about him not... Um, being able to grasp that or, or grasping, but not being able to do anything about the fact that somebody else is doing his desiring for him. And even in his, his romance with, um, uh, with Ellen, with the countess, with Michelle Viper, I'm forgetting her full name. Ellen Olenska. Ellen Olenska, right. Even in his romance, she is the subject of desire, right. In so clearly, like she is the man in that romance. Absolutely. You know, and the he, independent. Yeah. 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 You know, and, and he, well, she, right. She's the, she's the subject and he is, you know, um, uh, take, you know, drawn to her subjectivity. And I think, and we were talking about the arbitrary rules that we put on life and arbitrary milestones. That movie has the all time greatest, which is if she'll only turn around at the lighthouse, Mm -hmm. 
then everything will be solved. And she, it's, it's completely arbitrary that he puts these rules on his life. Mm. Um, I find that terrifying. I find that completely terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Or superstition, which yeah. is uh, which is another characteristic of tribal mm-hmm. behavior. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you're locked into these beliefs that you inherited, and you don't choose for yourself. You just yeah. Yeah. That that makes me think of how in the Irishman they they always refer to like the what do they call like the older they like the old ones or what do they call them the the elders they like. Oh yeah. <laughs> There's what some do word. they call them? It, I don't know. It makes them sound like they're spirits or something like the yes. the old timers. I the think old right. Yeah. So they just refer to them generically yes. the leaders as the, the old timers. And that's in Casino too. I oh, was realizing yeah. right. Casino the the old East Coast mobsters are referred oh, yeah. to by this kind of bizarre allegorical <laughs> name. Yeah. Yeah. And they're and you just like see them under a light under yes. like this strange halo of light. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, actually, speaking of light. Um, the, I, there's something about the Irishman. I'm, I, this particular look it has of this glow, I, that's this muted glow that was through a lot of it really mm-hmm. struck me, you know, um, which almost went with the sound design too, which also I felt like things are just kind of swelled up. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's already a quiet character, but you feel it. Sepulchral almost. Yeah. 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 Um, and I don't know, that really struck me. Um, I mean, we, I, I did an interview with, with the cinematographer where he was talking about how they were, they were trying to mimic the look not the, for each era they were trying to mimic the look of the medium that was c- capturing that era mm-hmm. you know so like kodachrome or something in the 50s yeah. and 60s and then yeah. later on in the, in the 90s getting more generic and kind of washed out digital i don't know um but still throughout there's just this i don't know if that's a result of the cgi or something when you overlay things mm. but every everyone already felt a little encased in something mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um that's that just because just to talk a bit about like the image um the, i don't know in in the movie well i mean second film in a row where sound has been incredibly important yeah. and incredibly minimal like really drained true, like yeah. silence um i be- i believe didn't have a score correct I don't remember one. Yeah, I don't think it has a score. Um, and there's and there are certain sounds of nature that are heightened at mm-hmm. certain times, but generally it's in very closed spaces with very quiet conversations. Yeah. And I remember seeing in the theater and having to and at home and having to kind of like lean into the television to yeah. try to hear exactly what was being said. Um, the Irishman had a similar, yeah, kind of kind of shadowy, closed yeah. feel to it. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm just thinking more about so right this this this. Um, I think I mean this idea about repression, which just strikes me as exactly right that that in a in an age now um, where uh, everything is text, in fact, everything unspoken is being spoken. I mean, on, you know, in all arenas, um, and in fact, there's a kind of like injunction to speak everything. You know, we're mm. sort of being um, forced to speak every, coerced into speaking everything all the time. Like what? Uh, you know, what would it like? Could Scorsese make a movie about the now? You know, what would it what would it mean? I mean, this is like that's kind of a silly question, but I guess what I mean is, you know, he keeps obviously not making movies set in the present, not making movies that are at all about the present. Um, and I guess I wonder, you know, and, well, and he's of more drawn to a periods of repression, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And there are no sex. I mean, there's one or two sex scenes in his movies. I think there's one in in Mean Streets, maybe. Hmm. And maybe a little bit in Goodfellas, but very marginal and not casino. There's a casino, really gross sex scene. But I mean, <laughs> but you, I mean, you have this cross, uh, Cape, above, Cape the cross above at the bed, the crucifix, and the the vertical end of it is just like a dagger going down between the man and the woman. I mean, there's hmm. so many crucifixes yeah. over the over beds and bedrooms. Yeah. yeah. 
It is, it is, it is a lost art subtext. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it actually reminds me of something. Um, I, 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 I was talking about just today. Actually, I, I'm teaching a class on, on queerness in cinema, and the class is structured in such a way that when you, I mean, when you hit a certain point, queerness in American cinema, I should say, specifically, when you hit a certain point, um, everything stops being subtext and everything starts. So you move from like readings of films mm -hmm. and theory on films to actual representations yeah. of yeah. marginalized people, mm. marginalized communities. Mm. And the subtext goes out the window. So mm. we're like, basically we're talking today actually about how like, well, from that, from this point forward, what you see is what you get. Yeah. They're going to tell you like, as we head into like mm. more political filmmaking, mm. uh, you're like, you're going to stop kind of questioning mm. what you're watching. Mm -hmm. You're going to get it. And, and I'm thinking of that because I think that that is connected to, you know, the, the era of filmmaking, the type of filmmaker that Scorsese really mm -hmm. is. He, he, yes. he, he harkens from that Hitchcock era mm -hmm. where, you know, it's really exciting because you can do a, do a queer reading of North by Northwest. That's really exciting. You could do a queer reading mm -hmm. of Raging Bull mm -hmm. of, mm -hmm. of, you know, most of his films, mm -hmm. to tell you the truth. And most of Hitchcock's too. He can mm -hmm. all, all sorts of. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, the problem with with this is that it sounds like you're being nostalgic for the closet. Right. I mean, there there is something about, you know, there, the the whole idea of subtext and sexual repression is, of course, very connected to, you know, not being able to speak your desires or <laughs> live your desires. Which is like the big controversial conversation <laughs> right. about Terrence Davies right. filmmaking, right? Mm, it, yeah. Like the long bit closes, distant, distant voices. Are these films that are actually nostalgic for the closet? What does that mean? What does that mean to consider them queer films in that way? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think Scorsese's films are, you know, it, it, we talk about nostalgia like it's inherently a bad thing, but yeah, yeah. they're nostalgic yeah. for, mm -hmm. a different, for a different mode of thought, different mode of filmmaking. And I think that's one of the reasons why Irishman is maybe capturing so many people's imaginations, mm -hmm. actually, because mm -hmm. it just feels like a film out of time. Yeah. It's about time. Well, mm -hmm. but on the other hand, I mean, I guess on the other hand, though, I do think it's about um, the exhaustion and the failure of 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 that genre, right? Of of that of that um, era of American history, of that mode of um, of of masculinity, um, but also of uh, a certain, you know, of, of the, of the narrative and, and performance styles that go along with it, you know? So, and that's, that's kind of, um, that's what, that's what I think is curious about it is that it is, it is both nostalgic and anti-nostalgic. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think. Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly the, the, it's yeah it, it does feel like it's consuming itself almost as, mm. as it's happening you know um and isn't that but isn't yeah. that kind of just this maybe that's maybe we're coming to a closer to an answer of what the scorsese thing is i think mm. that that is it right because the, there's we have these conversations constantly like is goodfellas glorifying violence is the wolf of wall street glorifying its main character these movies they're they're constantly ambivalent yeah. they're constantly yeah. one thing and then the other i mean yeah. you know wolf of wall street you're following this heinous hideous horrible person you're trapped with him for hours and hours mm -hmm. and people are still wondering how am i supposed to feel well when he punches his wife in the stomach you don't yeah. you know how you're supposed yeah. to feel yeah you know i mean at a certain point scorsese is going to like pull back the curtain just a little bit and mm -hmm. say you know what you're watching is is very troubling mm -hmm. and oh, i think well, yeah. i think all of his films do they that. are mm -hmm. and what's fascinating is how he i mean it takes a kind of genius to, to risk alienating the audience the way he does mm -hmm. creating characters for whom there's really very little sympathy but who excite you and who, who are dazzling in other ways too it's a it's a very complex 
set of feelings that he's evoking and, and troubling, I think. Yeah. 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 I mean, and the role of just comedy in that. I mean, that part, yes, yeah, part the dark of, humor. You, the we dark, haven't mentioned that. Yeah. Well, I mean, Wolf, yeah. you know, by way of Wolf of Wall Street, mm. just being like this grotesque, satirical thing. But like, I mean, um, Sheila O'Malley just wrote a, you know, wrote a great column about being with an audience that was just hanging on every word and yeah. laughing at one scene after another. And it's not because you're laughing. I mean, you're not loving what's, what's happening ultimately. Um, and the Irishman is interesting. That's one thing that did kind of uh, unnerve me about the Irishman is, is that I, it's so funny. I mean, he's like his, you know, as usual, but it's also layered with how used to we are um, mafia kind of cliches mm. and stuff. It's like, it's familiar. So the joke is the understatement about how people are talking about things. So the whole subtext text thing also becomes a vehicle for like one liners half the time because it's like, Oh, we know what they mean. So it's funny that they're understating it. Um, but, well, now, yeah. I mean like on M MSNBC and the news channels, when they're talking about the Trump administration, they're constantly referring to Godfather and Goodfellas. Oh, God. They talked about how the administration yeah. is like the end of Goodfellas where everybody's turning on each other and they use, you know, gangster link go like yeah. bag man and all that's stuff. true yeah <laughs> so i mean it's become a kind of reference they've become a reference point for the real yeah. the so-called real world the political yeah. world yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, i think people's relationship to trump a lot of a lot of people in, the, in this country their relationship to trump is very mm. similar to their relationship to tony soprano yeah mm. i really do i mean just oh but isn't he just so funny yeah right oh yeah. but he's just he, he just seems like someone you could yeah. like larger than with. life you know all, mm. all, 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 right yeah, yeah. yeah. That's but you true. know it's interesting. I mean, I, I don't know if any of you watched Succession, the series Succession. But there, that's a, a story in which every character is uniformly repellent and loathsome, each in a different way. And I mean, I can't watch. I can't binge watch. I have to go take a bath after watching an episode, <laughs> and then wait a while and come back. And yet I can't. But I mean, yeah. these are the mobsters now, the Murdoch type people and the corporate people. That's where. Yeah, that's, yeah. No, that that's a show. I yeah. I actually can't can't watch you find it you <laughs> it find just it infuriates too. me yeah. and you know but also I, I think that's partly a result of like i'm already seeing it in the news this kind of draw this kind of interaction yeah i know family. that's it's why it's so, so but, disturbing yeah yeah but i guess i should be able to no I, no, I, no 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 and nobody has <laughs> it's okay to obliged. step away back away slowly um yeah um, well, are there? I'm, I'm curious. Are there any um, any other mm -hmm. kind of um, connections with um, past Scorsese stuff? Like I, maybe by just because of something about the De Niro character, as, as ordinary as he as he is and as familiar he is, it still struck me as kind of some pathology path pathological about him um so i ended up thinking about taxi driver when i was watching it well um, i think this is what we have to i mean yeah. de niro is like 20 shades of of you know disturbed personality <laughs> disorder and they i mean they're different variants but they're always that and one yeah. of the characteristics is you never change mm -hmm. when you have one of these disorders and the other is that you're not aware that you have it so you know <laughs> but right. they're how different i mean within yeah. this context of pathology yeah. how different they are and how mm -hmm. the different the shadings are yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i mean having rewatched new york new york recently yeah. and thinking mm -hmm. about you know taking yeah. travis bickle and putting him in a, <laughs> a hollywood musical um <laughs> to a certain extent right. i mean he's really disturbed from the very first frame yeah. of new york new york mm -hmm. and the movie does not redeem him mm -mm. the movie doesn't even redeem him by letting him kill himself which is what a Star is Born always does, and New York, mm. New York is a version of a, of a Star is Born. Um, he does get a little slicker as time goes on. He does have that scene with his son. 
I do oh, feel like that's I the, like one the ending is who the yeah. abandoned. Uh, the abandoned son. <laughs> yeah. And that the moment with her, you know, it reminded watching it again reminded me a little bit of marriage story where the moment they're breaking up is the moment where they they love each other the most mm-hmm. in some way. It's mm-hmm. just that yeah. sort of paradox. Yeah. I think so. I was just thinking that movie structurally is so fascinating. If, if we're, cause I know I was just talking about Irishman and age of innocence structurally. I think mm-hmm. that's one thing maybe we don't give him enough credit for is how mm-hmm. kind of perfectly unusually structured mm-hmm. his films are. New York, mm-hmm. New York is a movie that's two and a half hours. First two hours is basically like an epic, horrifying breakup movie. Mm-hmm. And then it just transitions into a Hollywood musical at the end, mm-hmm. which is the perfect way to do a musical because mm-hmm. it's all catharsis. It's just mm-hmm. one song after mm-hmm. another. And Liza Minnelli takes center stage. And um, I, I just, it's, it's the kind of thing where, you know, Scorsese doesn't always allow himself that kind of catharsis. Yeah, mm-hmm. very it's rarely. so yeah. pronounced yeah, in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, but it has to be through... Um, genre right through artifice Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right which is really which is really interesting I mean even though you know he's associated with um and and I think for you know good reasons like the 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 second generation method actors De Niro obviously is the main one um uh there's you know there's a there's a way that in that refusal of catharsis or in that refusal to change um the characters also are not like the 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 performances never, um, you know, hit sort of the narrative arc that I think method acting often was designed to do, which is a kind of, you know, um, uh, repression to release to like a, a sort mm-hmm. of catharsis. Um, I mean, the the violence in in a lot of the movies, as we've been saying, like I think takes that place. Um, but it's not cathartic, either for right, them or for exactly. us. That's what's exactly. so interesting about exactly. it. Yeah. No, exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's this kind of it's um, it's a sort of displacement, yeah, yeah, of the of the cathartic moment. Yeah. And so even in New York, New York, it's the um, it's you know, it's only through um, you know the the um, total avowed artifice of the musical number. Mm. That there can be any kind of um, sort of uh, emotional um, release. release. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah. yeah I, I would say music has maybe music has that effect throughout. Yeah, throughout mm-hmm. his films, mm-hmm. right? New York, New York is the only true old-fashioned MGM-style musical that he's done. Sadly, he should do more. <laughs> um, but it, like Age of Innocence, the way that this, the, the way that the, the beauty of the music and the flowers and the mm-hmm. sets and the costumes function is like mm-hmm. the catharsis that none of them really It's the only unmixed pleasure mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. Undiluted by ambivalence. It's just mm-hmm. pure, yeah, the music. The overhead shots of the dinner tables yeah, of the delicious yeah, food. Yeah. It's all, I mean, it's, of but course music, it's seductive, I think but it's that's a hollow. Good point about the music. Right. Yeah. Goodfellas, too. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. that's yeah. like Layla, the, the scene I was talking about from Goodfellas is kind yeah. of, yeah. it's a musical true. sequence. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. But that, yeah, but then that, that brings me back to the, I mean, the Irishman that not feel, it doesn't feel like the, the music is as much of a release there. It just feels like it's, no, it's, right. it's just mm-hmm. a soundtrack to a demise mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in progress somehow. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about the the opening music in Irishman is the it's that like fifties mm. doo wop that's oh, also right. in Mean Streets, right? Mm-hmm. It's like there's that like yeah, what is it again? In the still of the night. In the still, in the still of, of the, the night. Five satins mm. is how right. it opens and closes, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So I guess I was thinking about that, and I would I would love to hear what you guys think about that because you know in even in Mean Streets that's already a kind of that's like holding a place for a fantasy that. Mm we've already fallen from, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's all, like, that That music is, you know, Happy a fantasy. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah. 
And mm-hmm. and so so to harken back to it seemed I mean maybe it's a self reference, but it also seemed mm-hmm. like a kind of. Um, yeah, I, was, I wasn't sure what it was doing. Like, is it still holding that place of fantasy in The Irishman, or is it actually holding this sort of, like, second-order fantasy that we've already discarded, but it sort of lives on? Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, for me, it was, it was it somehow tapped into that sense that, I mean, I mean gangsters are kind of fundamentally pretty sentimental, basically, mm. as, 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 as mm. people. I'm, I know lots of gangsters, as, <laughs> as you guys know. Wait, but can you say more about that, Nick? So why, like, what, because that, I think um, there's something there, right? Like, what know. is it about a, a, a gangster that's that's sentimental? Is it the quote-unquote moral code? Is it? Yeah, or I, or that, I mean, yeah, there's this very, well, like, well-developed <laughs> mechanism and machine of, like, violence and And, and, and rationalization. And rationalization. Yeah. But next to that is, like, a very, like, traditional ro- ro- idea of romance. Mm-hmm. Family. Know, and loyalty. And right. Don't right. leave that right. wife. Yeah. Honor. Right. Yeah. 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 You know, because right. it's because the yeah the romance right. is never going to be more interesting than that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. but but right. but the, but the lip service, so to speak, that you give it is is that it's oh it's this you know it's oldies it's the oldies music it's slow dancing you know it's it's right. this all kind of very traditional kind of thing. I don't know. I so and that's and sort of sentimental. You know, and I don't know. It's funny to think that this kind of softy. Oh, certainly. Core, I mean, at, at the we, uh, t- to go back very briefly to the Sopranos because oh. <laughs> we've talked about this the yeah. closer of the brilliant season three of Sopranos mm-hmm. is um during Jackie Jr.'s funeral mm-hmm. um Uncle Jr. Mm-hmm. gets up and starts to sing this incredibly sentimental yeah. mm-hmm. um aria uh, and Meadow at her most rebellious phase starts throwing bread rolls at him mm-hmm. and then there's and then these other um other culturally significant sentimental songs mm-hmm. start to like drift in on the soundtrack. It's all about, it's been written about a lot this because mm-hmm. it's kind of, it was kind of perplexing, but it was all about this overt sentimentality um, that kind of masks this kind of demonic yeah. immorality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, yeah. Also just funny about Sopranos. I, this is kind of neither here nor there, but the hit of, of, I forget who get in, in the Irishman at that, the, whatever the, Who's the guy who gets hit with his family right there and then he staggers out? That reminded me very much about the hit at the end of The Sopranos, basically. Mm. I think mean, they were so close. When I, but in, I the yeah. Yeah, in the diner. Yeah. In the diner. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Um, but, you the know, clam place. Yeah. Know. Interesting. Uh, the still of the night. Well, they've told themselves that they're stand-up guys, you yes. know, that they'll that they mm-hmm. do things for each other. I mean, they've got this whole yeah. mythology yeah. that they've bought into as a sort of cover for what they're doing. And I think that's where the sentimentality comes yeah. The loyalty and all of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's nice to have. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Scorsese would yeah. deny that he has a sentimental streak. Look at yeah, the way he ta- look at so. the way he is about cinema. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the oh, way sure, he is about yeah. Hollywood. Oh yeah. I don't yeah. even mean like sentimental. I'm, and I want to say I don't mean sentimental in a, in a bad way. I'm yeah. Sentimental about lots of stuff. Um, I think we need to be sentimental about cinema these days. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I think yes. It's important. Yes. Well, sentimental and nostalgic are not the same thing, mm-hmm. right? True. I mean. I mean, sentimental sort of implies a kind of, um, uh, you know, a sort of like like saccharine emotion that is not genuine, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So maybe nostalgic is better. Nostalgic, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be thought of as sentimental. Yeah. Kind of for a bit, a softy. I mean, you can have sentiment without being sentimental. Too. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's true, yeah. Um, all right, well, we've, I don't know, we guess we can kind of be reaching the end of the road, so to, uh, so to speak, on, on this. But any any final thoughts on, I don't know. This, about Scorsese? About Scorsese, oh the Irishman, 
<laughs> too, there's know. too many. I mean, this no one mentioned the king of comedy. Oh. Mm-hmm. oh yeah, but though it's too yeah. probably too much to get into right now. <laughs> but it's strange because the king of comedy is kind of back in the conversation because of the because of execrable Joker, oh, Joker right, yeah. remake. Right, right. Joker yeah. remake. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. But, but a film Third. without the Sandra Bernard character is very yeah. central to why the King of yeah. Comedy works so yeah. well. Yeah, that is true. Good point. Yeah. I mean, I am interested in this, you know, why um, we have these these movies right now, Irishman being one, Joker weirdly being another, and Marriage mm. Story being a third that seem to me like um, these kind of weird 21st century remakes of 70s movies, right? Like why mm. we're interested in that terrain and... Um, and maybe also in like marking our distance from that terrain mm. right at this moment. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. Which which also happens to like dovetail with just like American history somehow too, I feel like. I mean, with the Irishman kind of doubling about like the death of a certain like, I don't know, working class identity or like mm. power of the unions. I don't know. It's always seemed to me like if you wrote the story of Hoffa as a fiction, it would be regarded as overwritten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> He's symbolic. He disappeared. No one knows what happened to him. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, that is true. For some reason, also, I'll just mention it at the end here. I keep thinking of the Safdie brothers a little bit mm-hmm. and their movies. Uh, Molly, when you were oh. saying about the too muchness mm-hmm. as a style that Cassavetes, Cosese, and when I think about who is the person, and, and, and Shani, you were saying, who's making now mm-hmm. movie, Maybe somehow the they come to mind yeah. a little bit as yeah. like, yeah. yeah, I won't, yeah, I don't want to double the, the, my successors. Their films but, are also referencing 70s American mm-hmm. cinema. And, yeah, and at the same Explicitly. time, yeah, they mm-hmm. kind of tie it all together somehow. I don't know. I mean, I feel like it. You know, sometimes in the in the um, in the in the news these days, you know, mm. there is this like kind of creepy nostalgia for Watergate, right? It's like mm. like there mm. is this kind of like, oh yeah, that was really bad, but look at how many, you know. But at least but there was still a, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there were only three networks. Right, exactly. <laughs> people is, got their right? news from one place. I mean, we actually are like nostalgic. Yeah. Like there's like a longing for like yeah. Nixon. Yeah. And, yeah. Simplification. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the systematic lowering of standards. Well, also, at that, po- <laughs> that point, that's interesting to think about, too, because at that point, if we're talking about 70s American cinema, you know, the, 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 the thing that unites them in any, in any book about the 70s cinema is that they're about failure. And we're talking right. about yeah. Irishman as a film about failure. Mm. So it does yeah. feel unusually... Um, close to that mm-hmm. to that method of filmmaking right yeah but it's almost like we're 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 craving failure like we're craving <laughs> we're sort of craving the clarity of like a um the fallen ideal right like that actually feels like um a moral stance that we can understand and get behind hmm. whereas like where we are now is we're not you know we we can't even understand ourselves as fallen from a from hmm. a center that we've like stopped believing in yeah well, it's interesting to think about the irish the movies that are actually kind of capturing people's imaginations this year the irishman marriage story joker joker to some, is a, yeah. is kind of hedges its bets but um uncut gems yeah for sure yeah. parasite of mm-hmm. course mm-hmm. you know these are movies that are speaking to people on a certain level because you know mm. they just feel like there's nowhere to go mm. yeah we know we're all we all have a, a boot on our neck my god are we gonna end there <laughs> I guess so. All right. Okay. So we'll we'll sleep now with a boot on our neck. But thank all of you for a wonderful podcast. Thank you, Nick. You've been listening to the Film Comet Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. 
Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Greta Gerwig about her triumphant new adaptation of Little Women, and essays on Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, The Safdie Brothers' Uncut Gems, Celine Sciamma's Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and the action films of Tamil director Vetri Madan. Support independent, non-profit film journalism today at filmcomment.com.